We're excited to be in the Christmas season, and we're going to kick off our first installment in our Advent series. And a few weeks ago, you remember that we talked about how God keeps his promises, and we looked at the life of Mephibosheth and how David kept a promise uh, that his best friend Jonathan uh, and he had made, even though Jonathan had passed away. And we saw that, G, uh, that David was just modeling how God keeps his promises to us. But there's a, something a little bit different about the way that God keeps his promises. See, when we stand before our future spouse and we make these promises that we'll love and cherish them in sickness and in health, for richer and for poorer, as long as we both shall live, when we make those promises... We actually have no idea how high the highs will be or how low the lows will be. And this probably works out better for us, right, man? If she knew how my breath would smell in the morning, she might not have said yes. If she knew how stubborn I was going to be or, or women, if uh, he knew how I looked before I had my coffee, you know, he might not have made that promise to me. But God, when he makes his promises, he knows all the highs and all the lows, and he even knows the highs and lows that only go in, uh, on, in our hearts and in our minds. He knows those few moments that if anyone else knew these things about us, uh, you know that they would never look at us the same. See, God still chose to make a promise and still chose to keep a promise. He came once a long time ago in a galaxy not far away. He sent a rescuer and he's coming again. And this is the story of Jesus. This is the story of Christmas. This is why we celebrate this time of the year. This rescuer is the only source of light in this dark world. He is the reason that we have hope. We touched on Isaiah 53 a few weeks ago, but this deserves a deeper and a more uh, Focus, look, if you'll turn there in Isaiah 53, and there should be Bibles there in your pew if you want to pull them out, you want to pull it up on your smartphone, we're going to read 12 verses, Isaiah 53. For this series, we're going to follow an outline by Matt Chandler in his series on Advent. But this passage of Scripture here in Isaiah 53 was written by the prophet Isaiah about the Messiah 700 years before the birth of Christ. Verse 1, it says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for this generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. Those verses there talk about how uh, when Jesus was crucified, the people didn't understand that Jesus was that lamb that was going to take away their sins, the sins of the whole world. And that's why they were able to say, give us Barabbas and crucify him. Why? Because they couldn't understand that Jesus was there to take the punishment of their sins. It goes on and says, they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was put, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteousness, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. These verses are so perfect at dissecting the human condition. Even uh, uh, secular sociologists and psychologists are asking the questions that these verses answer. What is wrong with us? Why are we never satisfied? Why are we broken? Why are we prone towards certain sins and addictions? Well, the primary answer that they come up with is that it is our environment that creates those bends towards certain brokenness and addiction and or our problems. Now, I only have two kids, but I know that there are some things that they are that they were born that way. Noah has always been very logical and thriving on instruction and boundaries and answers and facts, but Chloe is the polar opposite. She's very creative and uh, boundary pushing, and she thrives on freedom and dreams and imagination. So both kids, the same parents, two years apart, we've tried to be consistent, we've tried to keep the same philosophy. But Noah is basically the same person he was when he was two years old, and Chloe is the same. So the same parents, the same environment. But see, all that we are is not just shaped by our environment. No, our theology from God's word tells us that we are brought forth in iniquity. You were born with a bend towards error. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to you, but the end is death. And that makes sense, right? Because has anybody ever betrayed you more than you've betrayed yourself? We are the mastermind of our worst mistakes and regrets. Nobody has tricked us more than we trick ourselves. It seemed right at the time, but our heart is deceitful and it's desperately wicked. Now, since we're bent towards certain sins and certain struggles, our environment can absolutely throw logs on the fire. Our environment does cause that sin, uh, doesn't cause that sin in us, but it can aggravate it and help it take over. And our bent towards lust or violence or laziness, addiction, anger, 
We are born with that. And it's something that we all face. We all have these struggles. And your struggles and your sin doesn't make you weird. You're in the same boat as the rest of us. See, you were born broken. Broken isn't something that happened to you. And that's why we were doing wrong as far back as we could ever remember. See, we are born believing that we are God, that it's about me, it's about my ideas, my wants, my needs, my desires. And that's why this passage in Isaiah says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to our own way. And this is also why we're unworthy to judge each other because we're all sheep that goes astray. Each of us are born with that uh, belief in ourselves that we are God. We think that we know the way and we can lead and we can push out. When it comes to our marriage, we believe I know more than God knows. When it comes to my money, I believe that I know more than God knows. When it comes to my kids, my job, I believe that I know more than God. We are born believing that we are smarter than God. Isaiah here lays out the state of humanity. This is where we're all in. This is the boat the whole world is in. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us turning to its own way. A herding disobedient sheep must be a lot like herding cats, right? All of them going in different directions, motivated by their bellies or their fears or self-preservation. And this is the world that Isaiah prophesies into. This world of chaos, this world of sin. And 700 years before Christmas, Isaiah says, someone is coming to fix this problem. This is the world he prophesies into, but he says a rescuer is coming. He says, we've all gone astray, but next it says our transgressions and our iniquities, our, our willingness to go our own way and to believe that we are God, our transgressions and our iniquities are taken from us and laid on the one that is coming. He doesn't just forgive us for our actions. He promises to fix our bent towards sin. He doesn't just treat the symptoms. He treats the disease. He makes straight what is crooked in us. Well, how is God going to do this? He's going to do it through a person. A little baby will be born. And he will face life just like we faced it. Except that he wasn't born with this belief and this bent towards himself. Instead, he came to do the will of his father, God. God says, I have this plan to take care of your external transgressions, but I'm also going to fix your heart to change your life. And Christmas is the time that we celebrate that plan that God had. And how he waited for the perfect time to take action and to roll out this mission. And this is the good tidings of great joy. This is the good news. This is the gospel. That you were born absolutely unrighteous. But Jesus gifted you his righteousness. He died for your punishment and gave you the reward of his righteousness. 
And there's no question who got the better end of that deal. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that amazing? This is a verse that you should memorize. Because this is why Christmas is so amazing. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were guilty, but now you are innocent. And God doesn't see your sin. He sees his own righteousness when he looks at you. Our crooked ways are made straight, and he sees his own perfection when he looks at you. Here's another verse to memorize in Philippians 3.8. Paul prefaces this verse with all his uh, examples of his accomplishments and how his earthly success and what it has meant and what it has done. But then in verse 8, he changes his tone. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, all this that I had accomplished, all that this that I had done, and I count them as rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain Christ. Every promotion, every degree, every accomplishment, Paul says, I count it as garbage. It is worthless in the light of what Jesus has done. And in verse 9, he had said, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not, not having my own righteousness that comes from doing things and doing what's right and following the rules, no, that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, our perfection before God is based on the fact that Christ has granted us his righteousness. Not because you did things, not because you accomplished things, not because you had certain talents or worked harder than anyone else or because you gave more than anyone else, not even because you were better than you were but because Christ is better. And because what Christ has accomplished, now I am righteous. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just wonderful to think that I stand innocent before God? 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate. We have a lawyer, a good lawyer, not one of those shark lawyers. We have a good lawyer, right, Adam? Yeah, amen. Not one of those kind. Of, we have a good lawyer that is there on our behalf, a good lawyer fighting our cause. And in this letter written by John to the church, he says, don't sin, but if you do, Jesus, the righteous one, our advocate, stands between us and God pleading our case, pleading our cause. And God sees the righteousness of Jesus, not your sin. Think of the most egregious thing that you've ever done, the most horrendous thing, those words that you said, that thing that you thought, those things that you have done. Think about that. And if you stand before God today, Jesus stands and says, God, my righteousness covers him. God, remember what I did on the cross. Those things that he had done, those things that she had thought, 
those things that they had said, those are covered. I took the punishment for them. This should make us excited. This should make us uh, exuberant because we stand innocent. And as a result of all this, did you know that God just doesn't like you? He not only uh, loves you, he actually likes you. Jesus is not far off. Isaiah 53 told us that he was coming to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. Jesus wants to bear your grief and carry your sorrows. See, Advent is so much more than Jesus coming to earth. He is stepping into your life. That's what this means. The Bible says he was tempted and experienced all the sorrow that we have experienced. He felt the loss of death. He felt the death of a loved one, and that's what the shortest verse in the Bible refers to. Jesus wept. He mourned the loss of a friend. He felt betrayed by someone in his inner circle. A hug and a kiss gave it away. He had weird family dynamics. Some of you just experienced that at Thanksgiving, right? But before the resurrection, all of his family but his mother thought Jesus was out of his mind. He knew what it was like not to own a house. He knew what it was like to be hungry or to thirst. He knew what it was like not to be accepted by society. See, Jesus wasn't just coming to earth as the location of his crucifixion. He was stepping into humanity. He didn't just come to earth because this is where the cross was. He came to earth because this is where you were. And he steps into the pain. He steps into the hurt and the sorrow and the depression and the anxiety and the loneliness. Jesus steps into humanity. He has empathy about your struggles. He is not far away. He's been through it. He knows what it's like to have a hard life. And Jesus steps into humanity. And that's why we have joy in this world because the Lord has come. Emmanuel, God is with us. He comes into our world. He comes into our lives. Jesus didn't come to earth just because it's where the cross was. He came to earth because it's where you are. And he wants to bear your grief and carry your sorrow. He came to earth to be close to you. And he doesn't just stand back and tell us to get over it. Instead, he enters into it with you. There's another in the fire standing next to us. He came earth. He came to earth to be close to you. This morning we saw Isaiah foretell to us that the Messiah wants to bear your griefs and carry your sorrows. And for some of us, this time of year is just a blunt reminder of who is no longer with us. Jesus wants to bear your grief and carry your sorrows. For some of you, this time of year is when those addictions that you thought you were over come creeping back into your life. And you, you see the holliness and the jolliness all around you, 
It reminds you of that deep loneliness that you have inside you that you just want to dampen for just a moment. So you pull out your phone when no one else is around, or you crack open a bottle, or you uh, pull out that medication that you shouldn't take more of, but you do, because this time of year just brings back feelings in you of hurt and pain. God is not afar off. He wants to bear those griefs and carry those sorrows. God is not sitting back saying, I, I knew it. I just knew that they would fail. I told them that this would happen. No, he sees your pain this morning and says, no, child, you're hurting yourself. That won't work. That's just empty. That's just going to cause you more pain. Come to me. I can give you rest. And he enters into our pain and our hurt. The Christmas sweaters and the trees and the lights and the parties and, and all that is fun. But don't let them take your eyes off the fact that we have real reason to have joy in this world. Why? Because Christ has come. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And he didn't just come to Bethlehem. He didn't just come to earth. He comes into our problems and our pain and our hurt. And he wants to, he longs to bear your griefs and carry your sorrow and your loss and your pain. See, this is what we need to tell our children about Advent and about Christmas. This is what we need to sing to our neighbors, that God is not far away. Emmanuel, God is with us and God wants to carry your burdens. He has sent a rescuer. See, we are born with this bend towards sin. All of us are. And our environment might not have helped. Each of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We each go our own way. We have things that we think is right right now that you're going to do. You've made up your mind already. And that thing's going to hurt you because it's just what you think is right. And you're going to step it out. You're not going to ask God. You're going to say that thing to somebody because you've determined that you've just got to give someone a piece of your mind. But in the end, it's going to hurt you. Because we make our mind up, and we're just like a, a sheep that sees a patch of clover over here, not realizing that there's a pack of wolves right behind those trees, and we're going to hurt ourselves. But God doesn't want it to be that way. He wants us to follow him and to lean on him, and he wants to help carry our burden. God has sent a rescuer. He told us about him 700 years before Christmas. He told us about him thousands of years before Christmas. And this rescuer had a mission to step in front of a bullet that you deserved. And then he gifted you his reputation, his holiness, his righteousness. And that was not the end of the story. He also promised right now to step into your problems today. He is close. He wants to carry your sorrow. So draw nigh to him, and he will draw nigh to you. This is why Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. With every head bowed and eyes closed, bands come. The altar's open this morning.
Wouldn't it be amazing to go into this Christmas season having laid your burdens and your sorrow and your grief on the one that can handle it? The one that can carry it? Wouldn't it be amazing to start off with that joy that you once had? We have joy because Jesus came close. Not just for the person sitting next to you, not for the people that just follow all the rules. He came for you. With every head's bowed and eyes closed this morning. The altar's open. If you've got something on your heart, why don't you come down and just symbolically lay it down? Take some time in prayer. Maybe that we talked about losing someone and this time of the year just stirs up those hurt feelings. Why don't you come down and tell Jesus about it and say, Jesus, I can't handle this on my own. Won't you bear this for me? Won't you carry this for me? I'm handing it over to you. Maybe the sin's been creeping up in your life and you say, God, I can't do this. I know I could try harder, but I know in the end I'm just going to fail and I'm going to feel even worse than when I started. Would you come down this morning, take some time, and ask him to bear these things for you?